What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It has been already in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. I, the preacher, have been king of... Welcome to another edition of The Sword and the Spirit, where we took take a look at the issues of the day both in and out of the church via teaching and interviews. The goal here is to stimulate thoughts and conversations that will lead to positive growth and action on the part of the listener. Our prayers that those who have an ear to hear will hear what the Holy Spirit is saying through the Word of God. Welcome back. Welcome back. Today we're going to start looking at the various councils in church history. But I want to preface it preface it with this uh, scripture that was read Ecclesiastes 1 verses 9 to 11. And it starts off by saying and it how we had it read in your hearing but it, now I just want to do a little exposition of it quickly. What has been is what will be and what has been done is what will be done and there is nothing new under the sun a lot of the challenges to the church today are old challenges it's been going on through church history in fact i would i think i can even make a case since the garden of eden this stuff has been going on challenging those 66 books in the Bible. What about the rest of them? What about these other books that have been written? Why aren't we using the book of Enoch or Maccabees or Sirach or the book of wisdom? Why aren't we using these books or the, or the gospel of, of, uh, of Thomas and so on and so forth? Um, you know, who decided that the 66 were the right ones anyway? A bunch of men in a room? Oh, wait, that was Constantine. Constantine. Constantine gets blamed for everything. And we're going to see that. Uh, let me just clear that up right now. Constantine only wanted unity in the empire. Yes, there were, there were debates and challenges to, the, to Orthodox Christian belief, even in the first century. Of course, they were challenging Jesus when he was there. And, and this was Christ himself. And they were bringing challenges to him about his doctrine. Where are you getting this stuff from, Jesus? It's not how we, we interpret Moses different than you do. And we already saw that the Mishnah and, and some of the other books were brought in of uh, the oral tradition and and they was being made equal to the word of God and Jesus had to battle them with that. People always want to add extra things to the Bible. That's why I think in Revelations it says don't take away and don't add. You take away, your name will be removed from the Lamb's book of life. If you add, uh, the plagues that will be in the book will be added to you. Okay, so the word of God is not something you want to fool or tamper with. But people have made, yes, people have made attempts throughout church history. And this study is not going to be exhaustive. But I just want you to see, based on Ecclesiastes, there's nothing new under the sun. All this stuff has been done, been there, done that, tried it already. But here's the part I want you to look at. In addition to that, let's look, look, at, look at verse 10. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It has been already in the ages before us. When time you say this is new, 
it's already been in the ages before us. Now people say, oh, well, they didn't have airplanes before. I'm not talking about, I'm talking about human behavior, human nature, things that we do to each other and to ourselves. And there's, there's nothing we can create that's new. Okay, you see the rise of fascism in America and the far religious right. That's right, it's a rise of fascism. There's an element of fascism in there. I'm not saying everybody on the religious right is fascist, but there is an element of fascism that is trying to take over this country. And then to the far side, uh, the other extreme with the progressives, yes, there's an element of communism that's trying to take over the country from the far, uh, uh, far left, excuse me, not far right, far left. So there's always fringe elements on either extreme. Okay, this is not new. We faced this before. Make America Great Again was back done back down in the, in the 30s and, 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 and 20s. And the Ku Klux Klan, that was one of their things. Make America Great. Yeah. So we've seen, this, we've seen this movie already. It's been done already. And it has been defeated. And hopefully, by God's grace, it will be defeated again. Okay. So I, I get that. Uh, but this is not new is my point. This is not new. Hitler, Mussolini, uh, I believe it was Franco in Spain. This is not new. Fortress Europe, nationalism, Christian nationalism, all of that stuff, if taken to the extreme, and again, Christian nationalism means different things to different people, but I'm talking about the extremes, far crazy side, is, is just a cloak for fascism is all it is, what it comes down to, and totalitarianism. All right, so this is not news, what I'm simply saying. The war in Gaza and Israel, you know, I remember when I was in Bible college, oh, they was fighting in Beirut, Lebanon. I was like, that's not news. They've been fighting in Beirut for how long now? The Middle East is just one cauldron, one battle after another, all the way through history. We can trace it all the way back. All they do over there is fight, fight, fight. It's like itchy and scratchy show. Fight, 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 fight. Itchy and scratchy show. That's all you got going on over there. They fight. People don't like each other. You step on my foot. Ah, war. And then missiles and bombs are flying. Okay, so, um, yeah, not shocking. There is nothing new under the sun. Okay, so this stuff has been done already. You know, I used to hear my parents, you know, when I was a kid, certain fashions would come back around. And as kids, we thought we were, you know, we were new. We were, we were, we were uh, at the top of our game. And my parents would make comments like, yeah, we, we wore that back in this time. In this era, we wore this. And, and now I'm doing that to my own kids. I'm like, well, that's not new. It, it just comes back around. If you keep your clothes in your closet long enough, eventually, and you stay in shape where you can keep putting them on and keep them nice and clean, eventually it, it comes back around. That's what I'm saying. There's nothing new under the sun. But look at this. Let's read on. And it's already been in the ages before us. Look at verse 11. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of latter things. In other words, there always arises a generation. Each generation thinks that they're coming up with something new. You know, you, you, you see that with teenagers and their parents. When the kid wants to sneak out and wants to drink, to smoke, or do whatever it's going to do, and they come up with stories and lies so they can, like, slip by their parents and they don't understand. Somebody's parents don't even say nothing. They, they know what you're doing. And then when the kid gets busted or the, or the parent tells them what they're doing, they figure it out. The child is like, how did you know? 
because your parents were teenagers at one time. They ran the same game on their parents. There is nothing new under the sun. And so, you know, you look at your children and said, you know, honey, we, we, we've seen this movie already. Yeah, we, we've, we've done this already. We know how this is going to play out. How do you know? Because either we've seen somebody else in our family do the same thing or we've done it ourselves. So a lot of things that little tricks and games that the teenagers play, ain't like the parents didn't see them already. Like, I used to do that. And in some cases, the, the, the parent did it better than you. Yeah, you ain't fooling me. Because that, but that which is, was, and shall be. So there's nothing new under the sun. The same bag of tricks, the same game being run. It happens on all levels of life. And even so in the terms of the religious life. All these things that we're fighting now, for example, I'm, I'm particularly focusing on the African-American community, you know, dealing with the Hebrew Israelites, uh, some of the Sabbatarian uh, people who want us to go back to worshiping on the Sabbath day which is Saturday. Nobody's disputing that. They always complain, Sunday's not the Sabbath. I said, I never said Sunday was the Sabbath. People, let me make this clear. Sunday is not the Sabbath. The Sabbath day will has always been and forever will be on Saturday. The issue is, uh, are we required to worship on that particular day? And we will see why that's not a requirement any longer for the church. Now, if, you want, if you're going to be Hebrew, yes. If you're going to practice be Hebrew, you're going to practice Judaism, then you, you must worship on Saturday. Absolutely. I'm with you 100% on that. Um, but if you're a Christian, not a requirement. Now, if some Christians want to worship on Saturday, that's fine. Uh, it's, it, it's, it's all good. It's not a big deal. But you can, you can have your worship day on Wednesday. You can have it on Thursday. Pick a day. Just one day in seven you have for worship. But we'll talk about why we're... Uh, Sunday worship came from. We're not. No, we are not worshiping some sun god. This is pure and utter hogwash and baloney. Okay, so uh, we'll see from the scripture where the church began to actually worship on the first day of the week. Okay, uh, but so now in order to, to to do that, they have to discredit the New Testament. Most people don't go after the Old Testament. The Old Testament is pretty much set in stone. Most people won't dispute that. It's a New Testament that everybody likes to go after. And and because they don't understand the new covenant. And so right away they're like, oh no, no, we gotta we gotta defeat this. It, it's it's been done before. And so everything that's being that we're being challenged with now, all you have to do is go back in church history and you can find it. And the church fathers will teach you how to beat it and how to defeat it. Uh, once again, but because we don't know history, these guys pop up, oh, those extra books, mystery religion, Mithra, and all these other uh, gods, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, Jesus is Horus, and there's a lot of other virgin births in history. Uh, the woman is the queen of heaven, you know, that goes back to Babylon, that's not Christianity, you know, so when you see Mary with the child Jesus, you know, and she's the queen of heaven with her son, um, it's just of many manifestations of the same goddess throughout church, uh, world history, not church history, throughout world history. Okay, and so that those charges have been made. The Pope is the Antichrist. Uh, the Seven Hills of Rome. And been there, done that, did it. I've wrestled with those things. I've been in ministry now, but I've been a Christian now. As I said, I am, uh, it sounded like I said 1964 in my last podcast, so let me correct that. 
Um, I have been saved now for 64 years. That's what I meant to say. If it didn't, if it didn't come out that way, I, mean, if I apologize. But I've been saved for 64 years. Okay. God saved me at the age of 10. That was in 1969 when God saved me. And by God's grace, not because of me, I have not looked back ever since. Having said that, um, when I went to Bible college, I was 17 and graduated um, Bethany Global University. Then it was called Bethany Fellowship at the time. And I have, again, never stopped studying and reading the Word of God. Um, that school gave me a strong foundation in the study of God's Word. And yes, I still use, you know, people say, oh, you, you learned that in Bible school. Well, yeah, that's the whole point. Why would you go to a school, learn something, and then don't use it? That kind of makes no sense. That's like buying a gun, but I and now it's time for me to protect myself, but I ain't going to use it. Because you bought that gun at this store. Now we know where you bought that store from. Yeah, you're a faker. You bought that gun from this store. Well, I bought the gun from sort of to protect myself. So now the, the intruder comes in. He gets what he gets. Yeah, but that gun, you didn't you didn't really get that gun, you know. Um, that, that gun, you got that gun somewhere else. You can't take credit for that. Well, you know, yeah, I got the gun, but that particular store. But, uh, yeah, I, I'm the one who pulled the trigger. Okay, so that's what I mean. Uh, by nothing new under the sun. So let's look at that. And uh, we're going to take a look now a little closer at some of the, of what that first church council was about. Uh, you have a, a, it's in the book of Acts, you have a fledgling church. And she's just starting out. And at first, on the day of Pentecost, that impacted just Jewish believers or or proselytes who came down to, to Jerusalem, had been there for the Passover, and that was the, the Feast of Pentecost was coming up, and they were there, and that's when God, 50 days after Passover, and that's when the Holy Spirit fell upon the apostles, and <clears throat> uh, people got saved, and the church sort of exploded into existence. But there were no Gentile believers at that time. Where the issue comes in is when they be, they start to add Gentile believers. Now, one of the big arguments of, um, of the Hebrew uh, Hebrew Israelites and others, um, they argue that well, the apostles kept going to the synagogue and worshiping on the Sabbath. So when did all this change? Because that's, that's what the apostles were doing. Well, remember, the apostles were Jews. They grew up. This is what they did their entire life. It was probably unthinkable for them to worship any other day except for the Sabbath. And then they wanted to go up to the synagogues and bring the message of Christ into the synagogues to the lost sheep of the house of Israel to, to make to, so that the entire, hopefully the entire nation would embrace Christ as Messiah. Well, where else are you going to do that but in the synagogue? That's your time, right, uh, to confront these rabbis, etc. And, of course, they would go there for worship as well, which was their custom. Where else are they going to go? The church is brand new. 
<laughs> you know, it's not like, oh, that's gonna, I'm gonna go up the street and start something, some entity so completely different from here. No, they continued to worship on the Sabbath because they were Jewish. They were believers, but they were Jewish. And so if you're Jewish, like I said, you'd practice Jewish law in terms of the day of worship, which would be Saturday. So of course they did. What else were they going to do? This is not rocket science. It's not hard to figure out why they did that. But when things begin to shift and to change is when God reaches out to save the non-Jewish people, the Gentile world. Now, I did a podcast. Uh, you want to go back? You might want to go back and listen to it. I'm not going to try to rehash the entire thing here over again. But if you want a fuller look at this. Uh, it's called The Elephant in the Room, Part 1 and Part 2. And it was, I was really exploring how culture impacts um, how we practice our faith. And a lot of times the culture determines how we practice our faith rather than our faith impacting the culture and shifting the culture to align itself with God. We align ourselves with the culture. Uh, that is known as syncretism. That is known as syncretism. When you see churches playing worldly music for watch nights or for the New Year's Eve services, playing secular music complete with profanity, that is syncretism. That is the culture dictating to the church rather than the church dictating to the culture. So we think if we take certain things and blend from the culture and blend it in with the church, synchronize it with the church, that that's a better tool of evangelism. And they misinterpret all, when Paul says, I become all things to all men that I might be all, by all means, win some. And so people say, see, Paul, Paul said that. So now, therefore, we can, we can bring the culture, the, the outside culture, we can bring the club into the church. And that will draw people in. And then, you know, people will then now get saved. That's known as syncretism. Bad idea. You do not want to blend the church with the culture. We are not to be conformed to the world. We don't let the world shape the way we worship. And this is not a new phenomenon. It happened in the 60s with the hippie movement um, where the culture started to dictate to the church. Well, we want to come in here with bare feet. We want to have long hair. Um you know, because the Bible doesn't say you have to do all these things. And they were they were half right. The Bible doesn't say you have to do any of those things. But we have to be ever so careful that we do not allow the world or the to dictate to the church how we are supposed to do church. This is why we've jettisoned the hymns. Because people don't want to hear it. And so because the sinner doesn't want to hear it, doesn't like it. Sad to say, some saints don't even want to hear them anymore. And prefer the more contemporary styles. And I'm not against any of the contemporary styles. I like Matt Redman. I like um, like some of the other contemporary uh, music. Uh, it's not all bad. Um, you listen to my playlist in my car. I have a little bit of old, a little bit of new, and something in between. Okay, I'm just simply saying there's no reason for us to chuck the hymns. That's all I'm saying. But because of syncretism, we try to blend these things in with our worship. Now, what are you saying, Brother Reimer? Well, that's what we're going to look at here. This is what happens with, with the first council. 
In fact, with all the councils, it's all a fight against syncretism. The culture trying to force us to align with it instead of us impacting the culture. We are salts of the earth. We are lights in the world. And so we want to make our impact on the world rather than the world impacting us. But people know this. This stuff is old. It's not new. It's new to them. They're just discovering it. Some people go to Bible college and some of the, the more liberal schools, and they bring all this stuff up. It's not new. We've had to deal with this before. And that's why I refuse and I ask you not to halt between two opinions anymore. Just pick a side. Are you in or are you out? I'm in with the 66. That's what I'm dealing with. Anything outside of that is debatable. All right, so let's go on to the next segment, and we will take a look into the scriptures and see what the issues were. Let me say this is not exhaustive. I am not exhausting this. Okay, so um, there's a lot more that can be said. I'm just trying to whet your appetite and get you thinking. All right, so let's go on to our next segment. that you've been celebrating the birth of your Lord. Well, thanks to all of you for coming out to our service this morning, and I pray that the rest of this Christmas day is wonderful for each and every one of you. Not so fast, preacher man. Behold, it is I, Horus, Egyptian god of the sun. And while you all believe that you've been celebrating the birth of your Lord Jesus, you've really been celebrating the birth of me. For you see, thousands of years before your Jesus came around, I, Horus, was born on December 25th. I, Horus, was born of a virgin. I, Horus, was baptized by a man called Arnold the Baptizer, was crucified and was resurrected three days later. So you see, your Jesus is nothing more than plagiarized poppycock, and I, Horus, have come to feast upon the sorrow of you foolish Christians. Yeah, none of the stuff you just said is true. Yes, it is. No, there's no reference in Egyptian mythology to Horus being crucified or resurrected three days later. There's no documentation anywhere for the existence of a figure named Anup the Baptizer. Horus' mother was not a virgin woman, but the goddess Isis. And there is no specific date anywhere tied to the birth of Horus. I'm pretty sure there is. Actually, no. All of these claims and many others indicating that early Christians yoinked the mythology of Horus and stuck it on top of Jesus were all completely made up by Gerald Massey, a 19th century cuckoo banana bird self-taught Egyptologist who never provided the slightest shred of evidence for any of these claims and who was laughed out of the room by every serious Egyptologist on the planet. So thank you very much for your attempt to ruin our celebration of Christ's birth, but I'm afraid we're all still having a very merry Christmas. Miss Horus. Horus? Did I say my name was Horus? No, no, no. What I meant to say was, behold, it is I, Mithras, Roman cultic god of the something something, and by you all believes that you've been celebrating the birth of Jesus, you've really been celebrating the birth of me. 
For you see, I, Mithras, was born of a virgin. I, Mithras, had twelve disciples. And I, Mithras, gave those disciples a meal consisting of my body and my blood. Sound familiar, Christian dummies? Actually, Mithras was born from a rock, not of a virgin. He had two companions, not twelve disciples. And the Mithraic meal was one he shared with the sun god, where they feasted not on his own flesh, but on the flesh of a bull. But even if those claims were true, Christians were already confessing the virgin birth, recognizing the twelve apostles, and celebrating the Lord's Supper before they ever encountered any Mithraic cults. So I'm afraid that you've taken neither the holly nor the jolly out of our Christmas, Mithras. Oh, you must have misheard me. I I'm not Mithras. I'm, uh, Chetzikotl, Aztec god of the wind. And Valuol thinks that you've... No Christian on the face of the planet ever heard of Quetzalcoatl until the 16th century. Well, then I'm... Balder, Norse god of the... There were 193 popes before Balder's mythology was actually written down. Then I'm Horus, Egyptian god of the sun. You already did that one. All right, fine. I didn't want to completely humiliate you, but you've left me no choice. I shall now unveil myself to be the ancient deity whose mythology was inarguably stolen by early Christians. Behold, I am... The ancient Mesopotamian God of Judgment. Six thousand years before your Jesus spoke of returning to condemn the lost and resurrect the faithful, my followers proclaimed that I would return to destroy my enemies and raise the dead. So silence your joyful voices, Christians. Your Lord is nothing but a cheap carbon copy of me, the destructor who goes by many names. I am Volgus Illidroha. I am Lord of the Sepulia. I am Gozer the Gozerian. Gozer the Gozerian is from Ghostbusters. Dang it, why do so many people still know that movie? If all the things that Gerald Massey said about me were complete fabrications, with no textual evidence whatsoever, why do atheists like Bill Maher reference these claims as if they were true? Well, Horace, I suppose it is strange that people who insist that they won't believe anything without verifiable evidence are more than willing to believe anything without verifiable evidence, as long as that thing can be used to mock the gospel. But we shouldn't be surprised when people reject proof of Christ's resurrection in favor of demonstrable lies that let them remain in unbelief. After all, Jesus did say, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. I said that before Jesus did. Oh, you absolutely did not. Amen. That was from Horace Ruins Christmas. I don't own the rights to that, by the way. But what I'm trying to get you to see is that this stuff has people run around and say things. But when you do your homework and you look at it more closely, it's just pure nonsense. And, uh, you know, and so don't be sh let these people shake you up when they come up with all this nonsense. They're, 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 they're throwing out arguments that really can't be defended, indefensible arguments. And like I said, you can go into more detail on that on my podcast on the elephant in the room. Amen. Uh, parts one and part two. Okay, but the Council of Jerusalem. So let's take a little look at that uh, Council of Jerusalem. And we're going to take a look and see 
exactly um, what the issues were at that particular time that came up. And then we'll go from there. Let me find my Bible here. Okay, the book of Acts. So, as I pointed out before in the elephant in the room, the apostles were only going to Jerusalem. Out, and Jesus gave them specific directions. Now, remember when the Syrophoenician woman was coming behind Jesus and, and she was saying, you know, she wanted to be healed and, you know, have a daughter, you know, please heal her or whether she wanted to be healed. Um, and Jesus said, I, I can't take the children's bread and, and cast it and give it to the dogs. And she says, yes, but even the dogs get crumbs from the master's, from the master's table. And so Jesus heals her because she demonstrated great faith. Well, that's my point. The Jews saw Jesus call her a dog, which is what they called anybody that wasn't Jewish, particularly the Romans. They called them dogs. And so, and Jesus said, I'm not sent but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So they took that and they ran with that. And even after the resurrection and Christ gave him specific instructions uh, to go global, they still didn't seem to get it. And so Jesus is standing there, and, he, and he's giving them, you know, great, uh, giving some instructions uh, at the book of Acts chapter 1, uh, verse 8. They were talking about restoring the kingdom. Uh, Acts 1, 8 says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Get it? So he told them, Jerusalem, yes, I want you to start in Jerusalem. The, the, not ashamed of the gospel. It's a power of God unto salvation to the Jews first. So the Jews get first crack at this. They're the first ones that God brings the message to. And then Judea, those who are culturally close to over in Judea, the Samaritans, etc. Judea, and then Samaria. And then eventually to the ends of the earth, globally. See, it will be a global faith. But they hung out in Jerusalem. And so one of the things that God did to get them out of Jerusalem, what God allowed, was persecution. And it caused the church to scatter. If it wasn't for persecution, the church would not have scattered. But something else had to happen because there were those who are around, uh, for lack of a better term, are those who wanted, Israel, wanted uh, to, to synchronize Judaism and Christianity. Now, if, the, if those who wanted to bring Judaism into Christianity, hear it, Christianity would be nothing more than another Jewish S-E-C-T, sect of Judaism. And it would not have gone global. It could not have gone global under those circumstances. Because in order to be Jewish, you would have to stop eating. If I'm a Gentile, I'm used to eating pork and different things. The likelihood that you're going to get a mass conversion into Judaism is is next to none, because I don't want to change my culture. I like the the foods that we eat. I like what we're doing. Why do I need to change? Just you know, and most Christians are like that. To be Muslim, then you know, woman can not now she has to have her head covered. Why? You know, she has beautiful hair. She wants to wear it out. Why can't she do that? 
Okay, but now I got to keep my head covered. I have to eat certain foods. Um, you know, I may even have to learn a second language. You know, I might have to learn Hebrew. I might have to learn Arabic, you know, so I can read the Quran in Arabic, etc. You know, just way too much work and energy. All right. Um, you know, so when you talk about certain faiths, we needed a faith that everybody could embrace without having to abandon everything in their culture. Well, Christianity affords that. Now, to make this clear, there are some things in our culture. The Bible talks about the works of the devil. You will find the works of the devil in every single culture. That part of culture, as Christians, we have to leave. It doesn't matter what the culture is. If it's satanic, if it's evil, if it's antithetical to living a Christian life, then yes, we drop it. I get that. But I can still wear American clothes, listen to American music. If I like country and Western, I can still listen to country and Western. The good kind. They're not necessarily the bad kind. But I can still listen to country and Western. I can still listen to R&B. I can still, if I'm Asian, I can still listen to Asian music, etc. You know, I don't have to adapt to Western music. So my gospel music doesn't have to sound Western. My gospel music doesn't have to sound Middle Eastern. Um... I can still wear my my uh, native dress. I don't have to. I don't have to put on a jacket and tie and look Western. And so, if it would, however they dress in India, I can continue to dress like that. If I'm an Indian Christian, and they can come to church with the saris on or whatever else that they wear. This is what I'm saying. And so, this was the issue of the first Council of Jerusalem: was what do we do with these new Gentile believers? You know what what's you know what's the issue going to be here? And so that's what was at stake here. They were trying to figure out what can we do now with these uh, Gentile believers. All right, so let's go here in the book of Acts, and let's begin to look a little bit at our story here. So the Council of Jerusalem, the issue was dealing with the Gentile believers. Do they have to adhere to the Mosaic law? Do they have to keep the law of Moses? in addition to being saved. And by the way, Paul fought this all the way through. In, in, at one point when uh, Peter would hang out with the Gentiles, remember now, it, even under Jewish law, you couldn't even enter into the home or fellowship with the Gentiles, okay? You couldn't even do that. But because they were believers, once they got converted, Peter was fellowshipping with them until the Jews would come around then he wouldn't have anything to do with them. Then they were ignored. You wouldn't talk to them. You couldn't have a public conversation with them. Hmm. Well, that's suspect. And Paul came to him and said, I, Paul said, I withstood him to his face in the book of Galatians. I withstood Peter to his face. I, Paul rebuked Peter. He's like, no, no, no. You can't, you know, be sitting down, hanging out, eating with these people. And then when the Jews come around, then you pretend to be something else. You're part of the problem, Peter. This is why we have people now trying to impose the laws of Moses or the old covenant on the on the, these new Gentile converts who are not under the old covenant. Right? Christ established a new covenant. And so that was the issue. They were struggling at the Council of Jerusalem. That's what was taking place. So we're going to take a little stroll here uh, through the book of Acts, and we're going to look and see how this actually developed. Thank you.
In Acts chapters 10 and 11, you'll find the gist of what I'm talking about. Peter goes up to the rooftop to pray, and he falls into a trance. And the Holy Spirit gives him a vision of a basket. And he was hungry when he was up there. So God knew what he was doing, and he lowers a basket down in front of him full of things that he can eat. And he goes to the rise, eat. But uh, but the, Peter looks at it and says, those are all unclean animals. I can't eat that. And then the Holy Spirit says, anything that I call clean, you don't call unclean. And he does that to him a couple more times. And then, uh, right after that vision, Paul gets an invitation to go to a Gentile's house by the name of Cornelius. He's a God-fearer, what they used to call God-fearers. So they were Gentiles who feared God, didn't know much about him, but they had a fear of God. So Peter goes to his house. He takes some brethren with him, always, you know, keep two, two or three people for witnesses so they can't say you're doing something wrong. We can establish what really happened by your witnesses. So he takes a couple of guys, about three other guys with him, and they go to the house. And, he, uh, and if God had not given him that vision, he wouldn't have went because Jews don't go to Gentile houses or even fellowship with them. That's just the way it was from those of another nation. There was no race mixing here. Okay, So, yes, they had segregation back then, too. And the Jews willfully decided to segregate themselves from other nations. And it had nothing to do with ethnicity, per se. It had everything to do with spirituality. We worship God, they don't. That was the issue. It wasn't complexion. It wasn't who's black, who's white. It wasn't none of that. It was all for spiritual reasons. And God did want them separate as a nation uh, so that other nations would not influence them. Okay, so that that was the purpose for that prohibition. So the Jews had a habit of not, their, their lifestyle is that we don't, we don't fellowship with these, with these people. Okay, that's right, I said it, these people. So Peter goes to their house. And while Peter's giving them the gospel, the Holy Ghost falls upon them, and they're speaking in tongues. And the other people who, the other Jewish brethren who were there with Peter were amazed, like, wow, these are Gentiles, and they've got the Holy Ghost and speaking in tongues just like we are. So then, Peter says, well, why, what's going to keep us from being baptized? So they so they went out ahead and they baptized him in the name of Jesus Christ. And so they baptized him. Okay, beautiful, beautiful. But now Peter has to go back and report to the to the church, right? See, Peter's under the man of authority. James, the brother of Jesus, is the head of the church and is the is the first head of the church or bishop, if you want to call him that. And um, he's now the apostles. That's right. The apostle Peter is reporting to a bishop. How about that? So-called apostolic governance. We're subject one to another. And so there was there was a plurality of leadership in the church. It wasn't one man. Didn't care what your title was. You went back and you submitted to the plurality of leadership. So now Peter has to go back and explain himself. I'm going to start reading in verse 11, chapter eleven, verse one. It says, "Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Galilee, the Gentiles, also had received the word of God. So when Peter went." Up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party, these were the ones who wanted to bring him under Judaism. They're called, the Bible refers to them as a circumcision party. Because these people, they're not circumcised, so how God, how is the Holy Ghost going to fall on uncircumcised people? Well, he did. 
And they criticized Peter saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. See, you always have those people in the church. These people were in the church. They were saved, but they were just, they didn't fully understand all the implications and ramifications. So the church is still trying to figure this thing out. Even the apostles, that's why God had to give visions and dreams. It's, it's two-thirds, read it, two-thirds of the, old, of, the, of, the, of the book of Acts. They struggle with going to the Gentile nations. And so God just bypasses them separate, and tells the church, wow, they separate Paul and Barnabas for me. And then Paul becomes the apostle to the Gentiles. Right? Because the apostles, it took them so long to catch on to it. Eventually, I believe Thomas went to India and they did scatter. But it took like forever to get them there. Okay? That's how deep culture impacts us. And so a lot of times it's cultural blindness, uh, unintentional bias that, that comes into our lives, and we don't really realize we're being biased, but we are. And the apostles were no different. There's nothing new under the sun, saints. This is old news. Circumcision party, Hebrew Israelites, it's the same thing. And ate with him, but Peter began. And by the way, they they don't accept the New Testament. The, and the only way they can be successful in their arguments, they got to jettison the New Testament because most Christians don't know how to argue from the Old Testament. This very same thing is in the Old Testament too. But you got to take skill. You have to have a skill set to do that. And that's why everybody attacks the New Testament. Got to get rid of it. No. So when you go back to the Old Testament, see, go back to the Old Covenant, and you got to live under that. The reason why black people got dispersed across the world because we, 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 we forsook the covenant, the Mosaic covenant, which is a lie. All right. But Peter began and explained it to them in order. I, I was in the city of Joppa, and he told, he refers to, gives them the vision that he had, how, how God told him, um, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. And I said, by, by no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, what God has made clean, do not call common. He said, it happened to him three times because in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. So sometimes God gives, it, gives you the vision or dream in, in threes or twos so that you know it's him. And all was drawn up again to heaven. And at that very moment, three men arrived in the house in which we were sent to me from Caesarea. And the Holy Spirit told him to go with them, making no distinction. And he had six brothers accompanied him to witness this. And, of course, he entered a man's house, and he, and he told him how the angel had went to this man and told him to send for Peter. Okay. And he said, he will declare to you a message by which you may be saved. So God himself has to supernaturally act. And the angel, I never believed, I used to think that God left the evangelization of the world in the hands of these 12 men. And when I, the more I looked at them, I was like, wow, that was a really bad idea, Jesus. In fact, and the more I looked at myself and looked around at the church world, I was like, why would you even leave it in our hands? But then you see, he didn't. Because he, he gave Peter the vision. He sent the angel. God's going to do what he has to do to get it done, in spite of, not because of us. So anyway, he, he, the guy, 
follow the direction of the angel, and, and as he began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, as just as on us at the beginning. And I remember the word of the Lord. He said, John baptized with water, but you should be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Verse 17. If then, of chapter 11, if then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I should st could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent. Because now they're thinking, what? This is a shocking thing to the, to, to, to the apostles. It's shocking. What? Including the circumcision party. They were like stunned. Like, whoa, what just happened here? And they fell silent. They didn't know what else to do. And then they just said, you know what? They did a smart thing. They And they glorified God saying, then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. When you talk to the Hebrew Israelites, it depends on which branch you talk to. Some of them will tell you only the Hebrew people can be saved. In fact, they said all black people are Hebrews, which is, I would totally agree with them on that. And I, I'd be one of them, not not Hebrew, not Jewish, etc. Although I will do 23 and me, there might be a little smidgen somewhere in there. But look, it doesn't matter. These guys thought only, I will never be part of any faith or any movement that favors one ethnicity over another. That's not biblical. And that's what I tell the Hebrews, like, I will never join you anyway because I, the fact that you tell me white people can't be saved. And, and, and then others say white people can be saved. They'll just be second-class citizens. We'll be above them. I reject that 100%. It's level footing at the cross. No one group is going to be better or superior to the next group. Now, do the Jews have a special status? Yes, but they're not superior or better or rulers over us. It simply means that God used them as a nation to bring the truth about the one true God and Jesus Christ into the world. So, yeah, they do have that over, uh, over everyone else. I get that. But that does not make them first-class citizens and us second-class citizens. It doesn't work like that. It's equal footing at the cross. All are equal. As soon as they start telling you, that's my first question I asked them. I said, well, well, well who, who in this new kingdom, can, can that, that Asian guy, can he come in? Yeah, but he's second class. They're going to be, everybody else going to be beneath us. Then I, you know it's false. Right there, you know it's false. Granted repentance, repentance that leads to life. So now they're saying, okay, well, evidently God wants to save everybody. You, do you get that? So here we are in chapter 11, chapter 11, and they just now figuring out that the salvation that Christ secured for them is for the entire world. they just now getting it in chapter 11. And then for a few more chapters, they struggle with it. And from that point on, there's a, there's a back and forth with this because the circumcision party didn't give up right there. They went to Galatia and other places and were telling people to be circumcised until Paul had to write, you know, I wish it would just went, why, why stop at circumcision? Just cut the whole thing off. That's right. Paul said it. It's in the book of Galatians. Read it. And even Peter got, Peter, who had the vision and who was the first one to open this thing up, even he fell back into it. And, P and Paul said, I withstood Peter to his face. 
the great apostle Peter getting rebuked. But now you hear these preachers running around here, don't put your mouth on God's man. If God's man is wrong, you put your mouth on him. You're wrong. Straight up. Don't back down. Let these people frighten you. God's not going to do anything to you. They're not above re being rebuked or being admonished. Now, the Bible does say rebuke not an elder, but admonish him as a father. But you can say something. You don't have to back down. And of course, from that point on, now and now those who were scattered because of the persecution then arose. And then uh, it begins to continue to spread. So now, so now the, the, the council says, all right, well, good. So Gentiles can be saved. But now the argue, real argument begins. What? Now that they're saved, what do they have to do? They they have to worship on the Sabbath day? Do they have to come to the synagogues? What do we do with these Gentile believers? Right? That now becomes the big question. Hmm. Well, let's look this up here and see. In the book of Acts. And now we're going to look at the council in Jerusalem. Eventually, they had to get everybody together and say, okay, what are we going to do about these Gentile believers here? Because, you know, we, we, we can't continue like this. Okay. Um, and they were Greek converts to Judaism. You know, and they had to they had to go to war constantly with Jews who didn't believe in what they were doing, what they were saying. All right, so now we're going to look for the Council of Jerusalem. All right. <laughs> so now they're going to get together in Jerusalem and have a council to try to figure out what in the world are we supposed to do with these Gentile uh, believers. Okay. Um, so they get together for the council of Jerusalem and they said, let's not put anything else upon them except not to worship idols or to eat meat with blood in it, or to strangle meat without the blood in it. That was the only thing the apostles put on them. They didn't say that the word Sabbath didn't come up. We got to worship on the on, on the synagogue. I did, and that never came up in the conversation. They never said anything about keeping the the Mosaic covenant. They didn't say any of those things. They just gave them two simple instructions. Don't worship idols or eat meat with blood in it. That was it. Hmm. Why didn't they say you got to keep the Sabbath and be circumcised? You see what I'm getting at here? Read your Bible. If it was that important, do you think the apostles at that point, moment in the first council would have said, oh, by the way, make sure you worship on the seventh day, which is Sabbath. 
which is Saturday. Wow, isn't this interesting? All right. So that was the first council of Jerusalem. Like I said, it's not exhaustive. I'm not going to go into a lot of detail. I'm going to give you one more small segment, and then we'll wrap this up. Okay, let's get right to it. Now, that was back in chapter 11, right? When God gave Peter that revelation about the Gentiles. Here we are in chapter 15, and they're still not clear on what to do with the Gentile believers. Because we know they get saved, we have to receive them, but what happens now? Do they have to, do we need to teach them about Judaism? Do they have to practice our Jewish faith in addition to for their salvation? What do they need? Because remember now, God just saved them and baptized them with the Holy Ghost. They didn't know anything. So clearly you don't need any of that stuff. But okay. But let's go. But the, but the circumcision party didn't go away. They pop up again. There's, and by the way, and they're still here. They have very various manifestations of it, but it's the same circumcision party. There's nothing new under the sun. That which is, was, and it shall be. Acts 15. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. See, this is the first century. They're not even more than 50, 60 years out from the resurrection of Christ. They're not that far out. And already, already, there are challenges. So when you see challenges in our culture, is what I'm trying to get, a, get across to you. When you see challenges in our culture today, don't panic. Now, it's been done before. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension, and then there was dissension and debate. Oh, you shouldn't debate. No, there was dissension and there was debate. That means a lot of loud talking and getting in each other's face. Dissension, disagreement, and debate. Dissension and debate. Dissension and debate. You earnestly, you contend for the faith. You don't back down to nobody concerning the faith. And it said it wasn't small. It was a big argument, a big brouhaha, a dust up. With them, Paul and Barnabas, and some of the others were appointed to. So then, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others of the circumcision party were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So now, Paul's an apostle. He's supposed to have all this authority, but even he had, to, even he couldn't resolve the issue. Why? Because the, the leadership of the church is a plurality of leadership. Now, look who makes the decisions, not just the apostles, but including with the decision makers and governance over the church is elders. Oops. I thought the apostles had all the authority. I thought they were the big boss. A plurality of leadership, apostles plural, and of equal value to the apostles in terms of governance, elders. Read your Bible, saints. And you know, 
anyway, we'll get back to another, that's another podcast. Today we have elders. There are no apostles today. I don't care what people call themselves. But that's another study. So the apostles and the elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church. And see, now they're commissioned by the church. So the church says, all right, you guys don't agree. So that local church sent, sent Paul and their delegation, Paul and Barnabas, and along with a delegation from their church of the, of the uh, circumcision party, let's go up and talk to the elders in Jerusalem and, the, and to the apostles. Okay? But the decision couldn't just be made by apostles. It had to include the elders. Okay. And they passed through Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles, and brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders. Right? This is called church governance, right? We don't, there's no lone ranger here. So let's, so they're all welcome, including the Gentile believers. They're welcome. Because Paul brought some of the Gentiles with him so they can see, they can examine to see if this thing would be so. You see, saints, we got to get into the into the habit of letting our leaders and elders uh, discern. I'm talking about good churches. I'm not talking about really bad, stupid stuff. I'm talking about really biblical churches. Uh, somehow there are nightmares. They're not even real churches, but that's another story. But if you go to a good church, go to your elders, and they should allow you to ask questions and very prayerfully and thoughtfully give you the best possible answers that they can come up with. Are they right all the time? And in and, and, and our modern times, no, not necessarily. But in this case here, this the church is being set up uh, for the future. So, yeah, these elders and apostles got it right because they had a connection to God um, that was foundational. Okay, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. Wow, wasn't that circumcision? I want you to keep the law of Moses. Isn't that what the, isn't that what the Hebrew Israelites say now? You got to keep the law of Moses. And we got a lot of other groups out here that are running around. Keep the law of Moses. Keep the law of Moses. Keep the law of Moses. We've heard this song before, saints. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, and even amongst the elders, they debated. Then Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, as he did to us. Now Peter stands up and testifies. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore... Why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of these Gentile disciples that neither you nor your fathers were able to bear? We weren't successful in the Mosaic Law. Why are you putting this on that on them on them right now? We failed. What do you think they're gonna do? And we had it for how many centuries and still managed to mess it up. But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. 
And the assembly fell silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as he related what signs and wonders had been done through them among the Gentiles. After they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, this is James, the brother of Jesus. Listen to me. Simon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. After this, I will return and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins. I will restore it that the remnant of mankind, that the remnant of mankind, it's global, may seek the Lord. And all the Gentiles, all the not a few, all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes the who makes the the heavens and the earth, saying, "No known from of old." Therefore. And here's James, the brother of Jesus. Therefore, my judgment. Now, James is telling you his judgment. People said James disagreed with Paul. But if you look at this here, James and Paul are in 100% agreement on this. So I don't know if people get this that James and Paul had an argument. Nonsense. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble these, those of the Gentiles who turn to God. Don't trouble them with the Mosaic law, but should write to them to us. Here's what you do. I want you to abstain from things polluted by idols, two, sexual immorality, and from what has been strangled, meat that has been strangled, and from blood. For from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he is read every Sabbath in the synagogues. The council's decision. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. And they sent Judas called Barsabbas and Silas, leading men among the brothers with the following letter. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders to the brothers who are the gent who are of the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, Sicilia. Greetings, since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions, and by the way, these circumcision party didn't come from the leadership of the church. These people just popped up on their own. Watch out when people break away from the church and don't want to come under leadership. Watch out for that kind of stuff. With words unsettling their minds, although we gave them no instructions. See, they got no instructions from the apostles or from the elders. It has seemed good to us, having come to one accord to choose men and send them to you, with our beloved Barnabas and Paul. So now, you know, we got to train these people because we don't want the circumcision party poisoning these people with nonsense. Men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth, for it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit. It seemed good to the Holy, this is the Holy Ghost. And to us, to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and and from blood, and what has been strangled from and from sexual immorality, if you keep yourselves from these things, you will do well. Farewell. That was the Council of Jerusalem, saints. Ta-da! How hard was that? Yet you got the same people running around. And by the way, nothing about the Sabbath. Nothing about the Sabbath. They came up at all. Not a single thing concerning. The Sabbath. Wow, how about that? Not a thing about the Sabbath. Absolutely amazing.
All right. So that was the council in Jerusalem. And that was what was put on them. And the word Sabbath doesn't pop up anywhere in the conversation. If it was if it was that important, if it was really that important, then obviously they would have um, they would have said so. But wait, it wasn't that important then, it was it? Of course it wasn't. All right, now there's just one more thing I want to do here and then we'll close out. This is not exhaustive, saints. This is not exhaustive. Um, there's a lot more that can be said. I just want to whet your appetite. And next podcast, we will do the Council of Nicaea. The Council of Nicaea. Um, yeah, we'll take a look at that. Okay, now, the interesting thing here in the book of Acts, let's go to Acts chapter 20, verse 7. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, the church had already started to worship on the first day of the week. Already. And there's several references to the first day of the week in the book of Acts, when they were gathered together to break bread, and it even says which was their custom. Okay, saints? That's why we worship on Sundays. It wasn't Constantine that made it, and then uh, now all of a sudden, uh, we're going to worship the sun god of Rome. They were already gathering in the book of Acts, first century, while the apostles were still alive on the first day of the week to break bread. That means they had a church service. They just kept the Sabbath because they were Jewish, and and that that's, was all they knew their entire life. But it had already began to shift. And, we, and the reason why we worship on the first day of the week is in recognition of the resurrection of Christ. Today is Saturday. What am I doing? Oh, wait, I'm not at work on today. So I am keeping this up because I'm not at work. Ta-da! I worship every day, so it doesn't matter. So I worship today, and so I, I can say I've kept the Sabbath. Wow. All right, saints of God, thank you so much, and we'll catch you up next time. As promised, I want to end each podcast talking about missions. And today, the Unreached People group off of my app is the Afshari in Afghanistan. This is about... Uh, about 16,000 inside of Afghanistan. Global population is 417,000. And uh, the primary religion is Islam, about 4%, less than 4%, 0.4% is Christian and 0.04% is evangelical. It's pronounced Afshari, Afshari, Afshari. They believe that Ali, Muhammad's cousin, was ordained by Allah to follow Muhammad, and after him came 11 more imams selected by Allah. The 12th one, Hajat Allah, is recognized as the promised Mahdi, their, which, is their, which is their Messiah, whom they say is, has been living in seclusion since 874 A.D.
They believe that in God's time, he will return with Jesus to establish Islam in the world. This is called the 12 or Shia doctrine of Islam. Asharis mainly live through farming, herding, and carpet weaving in isolated regions close to Kabul in Afghanistan. Others are found in Iran, Syria, and Turkey. So they're kind of scattered. And of course, anyone who decides to follow Christ in Afghanistan is rightly fearful of persecution. For this reason, the small number of Hashari followers of Christ usually hide their beliefs there in seclusion. It's called the crypto church, the underground church. So you want to pray for them. Okay, so uh, yeah, keep them in prayer. And we pray that the new believers among this people group will seek holiness by allowing the Holy Spirit to transform them from the inside out. And we also want to pray that God would strengthen the faith of Afghan believers to be his witness to Ashari people. Pray that all Ashari would be open to hearing the gospel in their language through radio, gospel recording, and print. So that's the unreached people of the day. Uh, Azerbaijani uh, is their language. I didn't even know that was a language, but now I know that. And so let's just keep them in prayer. Amen. Like I said... It's not all about us. This is about globalization. We want the gospel to go global. That's what I mean by globalization. Let it spread. Not by force. Not by the edge of the sword or the barrel of a gun. Not forced baptisms. But through the preached word. And then people being convicted by sin by the Holy Spirit. And then allowing the Holy Spirit to transform them and save them and fill them. Amen. So, God bless and thank you. And, and I know... For taking time out of your busy day, it takes time out for you to be here on to listen to this podcast, and they do get a little long, and I'm not even exhausting everything. And um, so my prayer is that you've got something out of this, and you'll be blessed. And thank you again for taking time to listen to the podcast. God bless. Until next week. If you want to uh, connect with me, rhyd12001 at gmail dot com rhyd1 2001 at gmail dot com god bless questions comments whatever <laughs>